This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 552. And the quote of the day is, nothing worthwhile is ever achieved without deep thought and hard work. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 552, and I want to say from the gate, thank you so much for all of the comments and the emails and messages uh, on the gram about the Kevin Murphy interview. It was a long conversation. I mean, we talked for about two hours or so, and if you made it through uh, or if you listened to it, I'm sure that you didn't want to turn it off, but but thank you for all the comments and everything. It's a great episode. If you have not listened to it, it's the most recent episode, episode 551. It's broken up in two parts. So we talk about money on one side, and then we talk about, about playing and Instagram and YouTube and playing in a digital age and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's actually in the first part and the money part is the second part. But this conversation is with Ben Caesar and Ben is the drummer for Brad Paisley. He has been since 1999. So uh, a little over 20 years he's been doing that game. And this is a, so I want to say it's an extension of the conversation that I had with Kevin. First of all, thank you to Kevin Murphy for connecting me and Ben. And But this conversation is really about going down the rabbit hole of particular styles and understanding what motivated you in the first place. Why did you start? And and it goes back to this, this feeling that you had about music. And it, it's a recurring theme that we have in this conversation about remembering why you started. And 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 Ben has a really great way of explaining all of this and, and talking about it in depth for sure. And I'm not going to waste any more time. So let's get into it with the one and only Ben Caesar. Ben, what's happening, buddy? What's happening? Hello. Not much. I love how quickly these things come together. We were we were talking before about I had Kevin Murphy uh, on last week, and you know if you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend going to check it out. It's episode five fifty one. It's long. It's about two hours or so, but it's divided in half. Half of it is about the re- half of it is about making music and and sort of living in the digital world, and then the other half is about money and finances and the realities of that. And I've gotten all these people reaching out to me. And uh, Kevin reached out and said that you two were talking about it. And I was like, oh, I've wanted to have Ben on for so long. So here we are talking about it. And there's there's a little bit of your backstory that I want to talk about, but I want to jump into the conversation that we were just having off the air. Basically, I was saying that me me doing all of these interviews has has worked its way into my playing, the way that I approach it, the way I approach different cadences and conversation and delivery and vice versa, my playing you know, is sort of the way that I, that I conduct these interviews too. And you mentioned that you had had an analogy for that. And now it's your, now it's go time. Oh God. Now I have to, speak. the red light is on. Oh God. I'm nervous. Oh, <laughs> is it Cindy Brady. Um, remember that episode of the Brady bunch? Where she <laughs> yeah. Um, God, I would be broke if that happened every time. Um, no, we were talking about, this was in regards to the flow of time. You were saying your your pacing and your your dialogue uh, uh, correlated to your your dialogue when you were playing drums and as it relates to timekeeping. And you said you were you used to be very concerned maybe with metronomic time 
And as it, you know, as that's getting closer to perfection and, and then you started to give yourself a little leeway and go, well, you, you know, it, time is maybe a little more fluid and the perception of fluid time, if, if you, if you don't fight with that actually feels more like a groove. Mm-hmm. And there's so many, there's no, I don't believe in a, um, uh, like a right or wrong on this, uh, per se, you know, but, but my, my philosophy on it is, is or analogy, I should say, is more like, you, you know, driving a car and when you're going down the highway and you're holding the wheel and your car, that's analogous to you behind the kit, your music is going straight and not wavering. Well, if you look at your hands as you're going straight and not wavering, they're actually adjusting. Mm-hmm. Your hands are never deadlocked on the wheel. Right. If you did that, your car would veer off the road. Mm-hmm. So to make the car go straight, you're actually, you know, you're actually making constantly making minor adjustments mm-hmm. left, right, left and right. And then somehow the car go, that's how it goes straight. Yep. So, um, that's sort of my take on it. And that's sort of got me out of the, um, you know, beating myself up in the middle of a performance, trying to nail down or, or bury every single click in a whole song. And so what I find happens when I listen back and now, you know, with pro tools, you can see it, right. you can only, you can, you can listen to yourself back and you can see yourself back mm-hmm. when, and on the replay. And so what I find is that it's, it's just like that with the car, it, you know, um, I will spend a lot of time in the, right in the middle, deadlocked, buried. And, and then some, th- some type of, decision maybe something that the guitar player did or something that i felt might make just just we're talking milliseconds here Mm -hmm. you know uh you might see a little a a bit of a waver to one direction and i think that's your time is your fingerprint i mean that's honestly what what separates us i think as artists in terms of your personal stamp Mm -hmm. what makes you you uh and is your interpretation of time because because let's face it i mean the grooves and the and the fills and the licks and that all of that's recycled i mean are we i don't know that we're really making any new content right i i had someone <clears throat> you know what i mean <clears throat> excuse me i had I, I keep forgetting who it was but i had someone on the show uh and it, they it was the the best way that i could or that i would have ever been able to say it he said we're just everyone's just copying and pasting Right, and I thought that was right. really interesting to to look at it that way, like in the in this digital world that we live in, that everyone can relate to. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, and that's that's and he's saying basically the the same thing. It's we're not really creating new content. So what makes us what um, what do we point to? What's our individuality then? Mm-hmm. Well, two things really. Uh, it's your touch. You know your inflection. Um, the way you say things, and then it's it's how you say it, and and the how to me is, is it's in that interpretation of time, and I don't I feel like that can, it, it can be fluid, it can be um, it, it 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 can 
it doesn't have to be metronomic, though. If, if that's something you can do, I mean, definitely there's guys that make great livings because they have figured out how to bury every single note, you know, throughout a whole song. And obviously that's that's kind of the objective. You know, I'm definitely aiming if you look at it like archery, I'm aiming for the center every time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for sure. But I'm just allowing it to be flu- uh, fluid if necessary. Right. Um, and again, we're talking, and I was—I would say the difference between, let's say, a master and a novice is that a master, if you look at it like a margin of error, well, the master's margin of error is just smaller than the novice. So the novice is going to waver. They're going to make, they're going to overcorrect or undercorrect. They're going to turn that wheel a little more to the left and right. You know, and the masters, right. the masters, you're going to barely see his hands move as he's holding the wheel. It's just your, your adjustments are smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till they become imperceivable by the listener. Mm-hmm. And you part know, of it is, uh, I would think, too, the, the, the difference between the master and the novice is the master has control over that manipulation, whereas you know, the novice doesn't. Absolutely. It, it's well, then you go into purpose. So when you're absolutely, that's a great, um, um, addition to that because now you're, now you're like the archer, you're, you're landing your, your targets at will. Right. So there's less accidents. It's like, you know, when I was younger, it was like, whoops, that note got away from me. <laughs> right. Like uh, if I, if you give me enough chances, I could probably hit the bullseye. Right. right. You know, it, but like, yeah. I can't, I can't do it at will. Yeah. And so, and I'll tell you, even at a high level, um, you know, yeah, there's a purpose for every single note that I play. It's, it's not, I'm not necessarily writing just a wave of emotion or or, or I am, but I'm I'm not channeling that into, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm channeling that differently, but, but it's, it's on purpose. But even after all these years and, you know, I'm, playing at a very high level uh, uh, you know, of importance, especially in the studio, I'll still get that one note that just went somewhere else. And it's like, goodness, <laughs> I can't practice my way into perfection. You know right. what I mean? Just, right. I'm human and I have to accept that right. at so, some point. So let know? me ask you this yeah. when you mentioned about playing with purpose. And one of, one of the biggest challenges that I always had like coming up talking to people and and learning from them because in the beginning you know i think i I thought it was just like oh you just play beats and and you play some paradiddles and all that kind of stuff then i understand then i started to understand phrasing and purpose and structure or, or not structure but uh but um you know orchestration and 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 feels and touch and all these sorts of things where where do you think that someone needs to start to go down that road because it's such this like nebulous thing that you can't really put your finger on. Like, how do you start to play? Like, how do you start to create your own voice behind the kit and actually play with purpose instead of playing? I'm just playing this groove. Great question. I have a, I have a theory about that very thing. Um, it it starts with how you listen. Mm. How, How do you listen to music? What kind of, nuances titillate you 
you know, or, or what is it about music that titillates you in the first place? And this, this has to do with being not only just a player, but a fan. Mm-hmm. And you have to constantly tap into the fan experience. And it's just, what are you a fan of? Are you a fan of, can you listen to something that Ringo does and feel the purpose there? Or are you one of these guys that used to say, ah, Ringo's no good. He's just so simple. He doesn't do anything. You know, which those, there's nothing wrong with either of those perspectives. It's just that each perspective has a different set of ears. Mm -hmm. One is attuned to the nuance and and one is uh, of time, I should say. And then the other one wants to hear more razzle dazzle doesn't see enough razzle dabble and that's what they're a fan of so the, I, they'll never understand you know Clyde Stubblefield you right. know right uh, they will you know I mean I, I've I've said this numerous times and it's like embarrassing to say but the first time I heard Steve Jordan play I was like eh right you know and now I mean right. he blows he blows you, my brain well, you know blows my mind but like yeah, yeah. you you your ears matured as you matured and you your listening experience. Again, I, I can't stress enough to, to young people out there starting on their path to don't forget that you're a fan of music first. So, so for me, right. Um, before I knew anything about drumming, I was, I think my first musical experience as a fan was when I was four years old and my father played rock around the clock. Mm-hmm. on our huge furniture size record player. And I literally transformed in that moment to a four-year-old, kind of just a blob, you know, mentally, to completely tuned in. And I was like, what is that sound? What am I hearing? This is, it, it had nothing to do with drumming. I was just like, music just caught me. Right. And in that moment, I was a fan and I was like obsessed, like literally please play that again, play it again. I'm I'm like becoming annoying. Play that again. (laughs) And it was just, it was, it, it, it infected me, you know, like a disease. And then that, that experience moved on to other things. And then after that, you know, we're talking 1974. So whatever was playing, maybe it was like the Bay city rollers. I don't even know if anyone knows who that is, but, um, but then it turned into um, music that was just on the radio. I would hear, you know, music was so much more melodic back, like popular music, you know, anything that you would find on, on you know, mainstream. Mm-hmm. There was melody and just things that your a young mind can latch onto. It was simpler. Um, and then the fan experience turned into a bonding experience with my older brother. So, and I'm going to tie this all up to your question, but, um, when fast forward to like, you know, three years later, my older brother would allow me into his room, which was a huge deal. Right. Cause I, he was six years older than me and I worshiped him. He was already playing guitars and had bands and it was, he was cool. Right. Sounds like my brother, he's six years older right. than me. Same deal. Yep. Yeah. It was like hero worship. And yeah. he'd be like, all right, Benny, come on in. And I was like, really? And he would open <laughs> up his world. And that's when I discovered, you know, kiss and Led Zeppelin 
and you know, uh, geez, all this, all Hendrix and all this stuff, rock stuff, Deep Purple. And so again, I'm still just a fan. I'm, I'm not even thinking, oh, I'm a drummer or any of this stuff. I'm just loving the music through the vehicle of this bonding. And it just got to the point where I, I was such a fan of all this stuff coming in that I could no longer contain myself or, or be pacified by just listening. I had to be inside of it. I had to be part of it. Right. And so that's the, the player was born from the fan. Mm -hmm. So I've never, as I've matured and grown, I've never lost that. I've always kept that right beside me. And so I'm now a fan of so much stuff that when I need to call on something, when I, when I hear, let's say I hear a new song and I'm in the studio, we've got to record it. I can go, oh, that sounds like an old, uh, you know, I might do like a, a, this reminds me of something that Steve Gadd might play, or this is something that, you know, this kid, Russ Kunkel, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or Kenny Arnoff, or, or, you know, I, I, I was such a, you know, a fan of those drummers, uh, even vicariously, without like knowing that I was a fan. Because really what I was listening to was either Carly Simon or John Mellencamp, you know, or, right? Mm -hmm. and, and just going, wow. And so I now have this database of inspiration to pull from. And it's all happening subconsciously. I'm not aware of it. I'm only able – I'm going back and reverse engineering it now for the, for the sake of this conversation. But in the moment – I'm just tap, you know, I'm tapping into those nuances. So the spacing and the timing and the purposefulness that those guys have, <clears throat> I'm hoping has sort of uh, infused into my uh, perspective or my data bank. Mm -hmm. you, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So and, and part of it is like what I'm hearing, you're basically not basically, but you're saying, you know, you got to be one, remember why you started. And two, no. you, you really have to become a better listener. You know it. And right. But you can't assign that like a homework assignment or it, it's a natural process. That's the thing. I don't know that that's teachable, you know, because you have to be a fanatic. Like I can tell, I can give you an example of the opposite of that. So okay. when I was in school at Berkeley, you know, that's a jazz school. Mm -hmm. Well, my 18-year-old brain wasn't primed for jazz. I really didn't. There wasn't much of that in the peripheral of my music um, education. So when I got to Berkeley, I was hearing jazz for the first time. And yes, a part of me was like, this is amazing. Listen to the freedom these guys have. Right. right? But it was so intellectually and compositionally above my understanding that I sort of, I couldn't latch on as a, as a fan at that deeper level where, where it was inside my bones mm -hmm. I had an appreciation for it. It was more like, Oh, this is neat. 
this is really cool. Wow. It would be amazing to be that free. But the music at that time, it, it didn't go beyond that. Like it was this magical kind of thing. I couldn't feel it. Right. And so I, I but nevertheless, I was expected to become good at it. But I, at that time, I never really became good at it because it was it was fed to me more like a prescription. Like, take this medicine, son. Ah. It's it's good for you. Were Just you sort of resistant to it because you were like, no, it's not. It's not. No, my, I, not no, my I wasn't food. resistant. I, I was trying, hmm. but I couldn't. No, I, I was like, yeah, I I want to do this, but I wasn't breaking through because I could. I never really became a fan of it. You're not going to play anything authentically that you're not also a fan of. You're just not. Yeah. That's you know, I, I, I get a lot of people that email me and they're like, should I learn how to play jazz? And I'm like, if you like jazz. Yeah. If you <laughs> love jazz, if, if you can, you've got to eat, breathe and, and sleep it. Any, any, in order to be authentic at it, you, you can't just, I mean, there's a limit. I don't want to say can't, there, there's a limit to what you can do when you only know something conceptually. Mm -hmm. That's why I laugh a lot when I see a lot of these guys on YouTube or something showing me their Latin chops. Oh, uh, you opened up the can of worms. Me? Okay, shit. <laughs> it, it, it's not, there's nothing against that, but, but like that music has a rhythm uh, to it that is based not just in the intellectual grasp of the music, but it's like that is a culture. Right music is a culture it's the rhythm of life go down to brazil or go to cuba and like you need to like cross the streets and be in the traffic patterns and eat the food and mm -hmm. it's that it's a way of life that is that music you, you can't just look at the notes on a page again like a prescription like a pill that you take and expect to fully comprehend um that kind of thing, you, you know, with, with mm -hmm. less really get inside of it. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, and I don't think people are doing this purposely, but it's like, yeah. it's almost insulting to, to say like, Oh, here's like you said, here's my Latin chops or like think that like, you know, for six months, you're going to sit behind the kit and shed some jazz stuff and then be like, Oh yeah, I play jazz when there's these guys that are schlepping their drums to the kit or to the, to the show in New York city for years. Right. Learning it and living it and, and living jazz, living it. Right. And oh, then it's like, Oh, you did it for six months and you're going to put it up on, on YouTube. And now you're going to teach other people how to right. do it. Right. And, and this, this element of, knowing styles is so overlooked because, well, the mainstream wisdom is, well, if you want to work, you need to be versatile and know all these styles so that you can increase your opportunity of working. And inherently that's true, but you're, you're, you're only going to go so far, you know? And, and so I kind of, now I'm, I'm a little better at jazz now because I can hear it better. My hearing has changed. I can now hear things that went were well over. Like the minute any kind of metric modulation thing started to happen, I was lost as a kid. Or, or if, if there beat displacement, or 
anything played on an offbeat. I was like, okay, they're out, and I, I don't get it. Well, now my my I can hear the displacements. I can hear the modulations. I can hear the manipulation of time and the permutations and all that mathematical stuff. I can hear it. And so it makes more sense to me. And that unlocked a door as a, in the fan experience. I'm like, ah, it makes sense. I can follow it. Now I can hear the heart and soul of it. And so I'm a little bit better at expressing it. Now I need to go back and maybe work through some of the independence, but I can definitely hear it better. And I'm much more of a fan mm-hmm. because of that, because my, my hearing changed. Um, and, and well changed in terms of it just matured. And, 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 and so th- that's where all that stuff comes from. You, you know, yes, it's good to be, I'm not going to say you can't be versatile, but it might be better to just look inside yourself and go, this is the kind of music that I'm into that runs through my veins. And if I can add to that, then fine. But you, you can't you can't force something like if it doesn't hit you, it doesn't hit you. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it doesn't, you're probably not gonna be that good at it compared to the competition. Right. Yeah, I mean if you look at, you know, I, I'm and I'm totally agreeing with you here. Yeah, like right. if you look at, you know, if if you think of of New Orleans drumming, right? You're like, okay, you right? You're like, who comes to mind, right? Johnny Vadakovich, Stanton Moore, yeah. all those guys. Are, yeah, they're all, like they were right. all born there. You, great example. They great grew example. up there. They, you know, it's like, sure, there's, there's other guys who can like Doug Belote. Uh, yeah. You know, those guys are all they're born and bred man like it's just it's in their veins because that music is in the culture in new orleans is one of the most uniquely american cities mm-hmm. you think in terms of a city that has a a real culture of its own yeah i um, feel i always feel like that's the only, one of the few if not the only place that you can go that's in the united states where it f- totally feels like you're in a different country that's right it's amazing that's right. And it's it has, you know, uh, it's rooted in history, and, and it still is, and, it, and it's it's never turned its back on that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the rhythm of life, the flow, and, and New Orleans is one of my favorite cities in this country. I used to go there all the time um, to visit family, and uh, and so it is absolutely a great example of, of what I'm talking about. You can't just look at a transcription, you know, of something those guys do and really expect to to be able to sit in with those guys that grew up there. You know what right. I mean? They're going to laugh at you. Yeah. Um, um, you know, if I can add one more anecdote of to course. that uh, based on my own experience and, uh, you know, country music. Okay. Uh, I'm essentially – I make – my bread and butter is one – through, through the country music scene here in Nashville. And uh, when I started out with, with Brad in 1999, well, I didn't really have much country in my uh, dialect, you know. Or mm-hmm. My dad was a fan 
and he played, he had a Martin and he would kind of serenade us a little bit. He, he was into Johnny Cash and Flat and Scruggs and these bluegrass guys and things like that. And it was, it was cool when he would, the rare times he would sit down and, and, and play a little, but that's really all I had. And then pretty much any other knowledge of country music at that time was just like goofballs and hats. You know, right. I didn't right. really take it seriously. Um, but I got a call to audition for Brad and I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, I'll learn the songs that they told me to learn from his album. And, and I was already messing with it a little bit. I was listening to some other stuff, but I still wasn't a fan. A part of me was, was, was a little, uh, again, kind of, I was like, mm, some of this music's really just kind of goofy. Right. Um, but hell, but, and, I, so, but was Brad, I mean, was like, was he, was he Brad Paisley then? No, he no. was not. He was, yeah. well, he was, but I he was yeah, yeah. starting. Right. It's not like, it wasn't like I'm getting the gig now. Right. No, no. He was just starting out. We, he, 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 this was his first tour, first record deal, first single. He, he was what, what they call in town, um, a baby act. Right. Right. And they did baby act. It's like birds and mama bird. They, the record labels just throw these artists, they throw them out of the nests and the ones that, Fly, fly, and the ones that fall to the ground, well, oh well. Right. And so he, he was in that stage where they were just throwing him out of the nest. And uh, <clears throat> we had, so just starting out in those early days, now he had a kind of a rock edge to him. So the music was country, but his guitar playing had a, a heavy and even like an, an improvisational, explorative, aggressive nature to it. Mm -hmm. And when I auditioned, I I played to that. You know, um, I, I definitely grew up playing improvisational music. And he wanted to take the we, – we were playing a lot of covers actually at the audition. We didn't even play – we didn't even play the songs from his album. He was just calling songs. That I like standards that I'd never heard before. The bass player had to sort of <laughs> tell me what kind of groove to play. Were like, you oh, playing cover country songs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and these were older, and I didn't know. He's like, because he seems like he's like, like you said, he's like kind of a rocker too. He, he and he is, and right. and so I was able to latch on to that part of it, and so. Going think, back to what you were saying, because you grew yeah. up that way, like what we were saying about New Orleans and you know all these other, it's like you grew up on rock and you yeah. grew up on these things. Sorry, right. go ahead. No, it's okay. And I, I was just playing to that, um, and I think that's why I got hired. Was he he liked that I I, I listened to him and I I I played to his level. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward maybe a couple a month or a couple months, we had this guy in the band. We nicked, his name was Jim. We nicknamed him Daddy because he was uh, he was the old guy in the band. Even though it was a new band, Jim had been on the road for years with these other artists. He was kind of at the end of his career, at the beginning of Brad's. Mm -hmm. This guy knew music. He knew country music. He was steeped in it like like black tea, and. He was an encyclopedia of knowledge and just had been through all of it. And here I am, this new guy. And on one of our trips, we got we went to the back lounge and we were talking. 
And he said to me, he's like, listen, son, you're a great player. You definitely know what you're doing, but you don't know shit about this music. Ugh. And I was like, okay. So none of that offended me. That didn't offend me. It would. So in this day and age, you could never say something like that. You'd almost have a lawsuit. You, you, you know what I mean? Everyone, right. We're so right. thin skinned. You know, you can't. I took that and I went, interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. You know, because I, I, I respected this guy. And, and look, I had the gig. I didn't have to. I could have said, eh, fuck you. I've got the gig. Don't just don't tell me what to do. But, but I, I respected him. He, he, and he wasn't being mean. Mm-hmm. He was saying this. If, if you read between the lines, he was saying it out of love. He, he was saying, look, I see that you're the kind of person that wants to be uh, wants to be right for, for this situation. And, and while Brad may keep you on, I'm, I'm just I'm here to tell you that you're not understanding some of the nuance. You're right. playing the parts, but you're not really playing the parts. So what he did instinctively, we just, he just started playing me songs. He goes, now Ben, listen. And we would do this over and over. Um, cause we had hours and hours on that bus, you know, going mm-hmm. from Nashville to Colorado. I mean, there were hours. And in those times, in that time, something clicked. Hmm. And what clicked was the fan in me was ignited. All of a sudden, it wasn't about drumming. It was about the phrasing, the vocals, the, the pain in the lyrics. You know, when you listen to someone like George Jones sing a song, when you you know, it was it was the steel guitar and the the patience. Um, and and it, all of a sudden it hit me like this is a human kind of music. This music is not a joke. Now, right. granted, there may be these guys, goofballs with, with cowboy hats and dancing around and all this, but but this stuff, this older stuff, I'm like, this is real soulful music. And I was like, I was like, Daddy, I get it, hmm. I get it, I get it. And from that moment on, he didn't have to do anything. I took the baton and went and bought everything I could possibly buy. Not because he was telling me to do it or Brad was telling me to do it. My job depended on it because I was bit by the bug. I got it. I was that four-year-old kid and I was like, I got to hear. I was, it was every kind of music I could get my hands on and I would just listen to it because I loved it, not because I needed to get better. And within a few months, I was getting it. I was playing it because I was inside of that style. Right. And that's, and then the time came, you know, mm-hmm. I knew how to phrase it. I knew cause I was listening to these, you know, um, God, I don't even know some of the drummers were on these older ones, but well, like Buck Owens for sure. Like yeah. Willie can too. If you listen to that stuff, it's mind blowing, you know, and obviously anything Eddie bears played on, there was so much purpose in the way he played time and his touch and, and I, I can honestly say while I love playing exciting, loud rock and music, I, I would be a happy person if, if all I did for the rest of my life was play this old school country stuff, 
you know, with no chops, no nothing, just like sitting there playing two and four with a cross stick. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a beautiful style of music that I think a lot of people don't know about. And uh, so anyway, and it's hard. I, I, I mean, I don't, um, I can't speak for country, but just playing that sort of vibe, playing lower, lower volume stuff, playing, you know, stuff where you're playing a ton of like half notes, you know, it's a lot harder than it seems. Oh, it's, it's very hard to, to play that space and make it feel good. And you know it, yeah. that space is so important. And And here's the thing. Your artist knows they know. They might not be able to um, articulate it to you in the language that of drumming, but but they know instinctively if it's right or wrong, and you can't you don't have much margin of error to fool anybody. And right. that's why Daddy came to me. He was kind of like, "Look, I know you want you want to do good, but you're not fooling me right now." <laughs> and it'll get to the point where you're not fooling Brad, right? And you know, again. He wasn't being offensive. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best, most you know, loving things anyone has ever done to me, for me, I should say. You know, was mm-hmm. to tear me apart. Um, I, I mean, I've I've had, I, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, where I've had a similar situation where oh, yeah. guys who were older than me, you know, were we were uh, I. I was working out of this studio and then uh, the engineer and a guitar player named uh, Johnny DeFrancesco, his brother's Joey, the organ player. Um, yeah. So we're, we're, we're just, you know, we're all kind of shooting the shit one night and we're playing and all, and they were all just like, look, man, you, you got to get your shit together. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, I was playing right. in a band. Yeah. I was touring. I was like, things were great. And they're like, dude, this ain't it you know (laughs) what you're doing it ain't it so so long story short the reason why i'm bringing this up is that i think that those moments are important but i also believe that they only come when you're ready to hear them because i'm sure that these guys have been thinking this for a while and didn't tell me and i'm sure that maybe someone wanted to tell you before but knew i don't know maybe i I can't speak for you but i know for me that they were probably like this kid's not going to hear it um, and he's going to well, be offended by it. That he, he, the cool thing about him was he wasn't worried about, he wasn't the kind of guy to, he wasn't worried about my feelings. <laughs> right. he, you know, he, he, he and I were both, are both from Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so he went right in and I, he didn't have to, it wasn't, we weren't that far into this gig. I mean, I'm talking maybe the second or third weekend of, of shows. Right. Was, so he wasn't sitting on it for too long. And he wasn't, he, 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 you know, he, he was kind about the way he said it. He wasn't mocking or demeaning. Um, he was just very direct. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I sensed the, the love in that, you know, I guess, listen, I'm no, I was no stranger to tough love at, at that time. You know, right. I got it at Berkeley, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't, it was a different time. It wasn't. You know, I, and I, you and Kevin touched on this a little bit. It, it's not the, it wasn't the time where just you, you throw something up and everyone says, "Oh my God, you're so amazing!" Right. I, I'm. I have plenty of experience of hearing the words. Yeah, it could be better. 
Yeah, but that's the that's the best part, right? I mean, yeah. I was, you know, I was thinking today. Uh, I was driving. I had an appointment this morning. I was driving back, and I was thinking about the podcast. And to, if I, you know, if I could sum it up, like why why I started the podcast, and it was really like two things. One, because I I always wanted to just sit down and and ask people some of the questions that maybe I just didn't understand, or or like you know i wanted more of the conceptual stuff and the mindset stuff and all of that that i wasn't getting from teachers right so i wanted to sit down and get that and then the other was like if someone doesn't have that person that's going to sit them down and give them that tough love and then maybe we can do it on the podcast and and maybe yeah. we can like this can be that conversation for other people if they don't have that person that's going to have that conversation with them and and right. it's it's turned into that right there's so many people who who have reached out and said oh man i there was I, i've learned so much and things i never thought about before or things that i thought were important or not or changed my perspective and all of that so i love that we're talking about this because it obviously had an uh, a huge impact on your life having that conversation with someone i've had a similar conversation um, but I'm so glad that you, this, this just as a side that I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that story because it, it definitely helps other people understand well, what's it's, real. It's the important stuff. It's the stuff, you know, I get asked all the time, Hey Ben, how do I get to do what you do? How do I move to town and become, you know, that's the number one question. Mm -hmm. And it's this type of stuff is the answer and it's not, you can't sell it in a shiny package, right? You know, and it, you can't put it into a formulaic lesson plan. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, these are the things that make the difference. Are you open to hearing some things? Are, are you, uh, that are hard to hear? Are you connected to your fan experience? Um, what drives your playing? What drives your progress? Um, these are the, um, this is what's in the cracks um, between the, the stuff that we all know, uh, you know, uh, show up on time, have a good work ethic, uh, practice when you can, but, but, you know, all this generic advice, it's all good. But the, the difference, you know, between stagnating you know, and, and, and achieving something maybe in these finer kind of philosophical uh, aspects of it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe because there's there's still no formula. It's you know let's let's face it. You know, there's so much luck involved. No matter if you do everything right, right? Um, what percentage of it would you say? Oh boy, <laughs> is your playing? Not yours, particular. I'm just in general. Oh, uh, and and what percentage is everything else? Interesting. I don't know. I don't. There's something about that question that it's it's. it's I feel like it's unanswerable in the terms of percentages by me. So in other words, because a hundred percent, you need to be able to play. Right. I was, I was almost going to say, it's you know like, I mean? it's 100% and <laughs> your playing is 100% of it. And then yeah. once that's at 100%, then it goes into another thing. And now your playing is 20% of it. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like how much of 100% does it matter? I, but I understand <laughs> right. the question, but the way my brain works, uh, you know, maybe a Venn diagram would be better for that. 
Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the playing is at least in my sort of old school mind. I, I don't know if, if that's actually true because I mean, there are people getting by with, without having to be as good as I feel like I had to be. Mm -hmm. You can, you can, the truth is, uh, you know, I don't know if this is good to say or not, but I'll say, I feel like in my opinion, you, there, you can actually get by with not have, being as aware of your proficiency, your playing level. Cause I've, I've seen, I've seen people having success that, that I would say, why do you think that is now? Um, because we're, it's turning, it's more into, it's, it's, Look, there was a time when th – think go back before uh, media, social media got heavily involved and, and think about before when uh, you could download music you know, and recording uh, technology wasn't as advanced. You literally had to play to get it done. There was no way to get by without being you know, very precise and very intent and at a very high level. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? The nature of the recording process weeded out the bozos. Right. Right? You just right. you couldn't get it done unless you could play. Mm -hmm. um, so using that as a benchmark, I, I think as technology came in and made it easier to manipulate playing – auto-tune and beat detective and all these other things well it's like all right do your best and we'll we'll slap a band-aid on it and it'll be fine right right you know, so that that kind of thing um and also the phenomenon of, of sound bites i mean there's i mean that question is a loaded question so we really take things in now um in a different way than i used to mm -hmm. i used to buy the whole album and that's all I got from my artist or band. I got one album maybe every year and all of the media that, you know, not all of it, maybe 90% of the media that that band put out was on that album. You had the music, you had the liner notes and the pictures. Right. Right. That's all you got. Mm -hmm. And so you absorbed that again as a fan and you absorb so much of it, and when you were done absorbing it, you had to wait a whole nother year for the next installment. It's like waiting for Star Wars sequels. You just, <laughs> right, right. You, know, you know what I mean? It, right. But that's how music was. Yeah. And so it's interesting as you're saying this, like mm -hmm. uh, this whole this whole thought process is going into my brain that I feel like I want to share. That so you're saying you know okay you you don't need to be as talented maybe to go in and do a recording session because they can fix it. They can snap it to the grid. They can do sound replacement. They can do auto tune, all of that sort of stuff. Right. So there's, yeah. so we have that problem, right? The other problem is you're not buying a whole record or right now you have access to eight zillion records at any time on your, you know, at your fingertips. But before you would go and buy a record and you would listen to it intently for months and over and over and over again, and it would be ingrained yep. and you would go to your drum set and you would learn that whole entire thing. 
And so now not only is it not a requirement in the studio to be great, but also the music that you're ingesting is manipulated and you're pat like you're listening to song after song after song so quickly, you're not digesting that stuff. So it's creating to me, like, as you're saying this, I'm like, man, this is creating like this vicious cycle of, of not human, non-human performances, short attention spans, not understanding the music intently, not needing to understand it intently because we can fix it, which further perpetuates the, the manipulated music and on and on we go. Yeah. And keep in mind, we're talking about the mainstream. Sure. There's, that's important to mention because, um, you know, the mainstream carries with it this idea, this old, this, and I call it, it's a, this old fantasy of, of hitting the big time. Right. So we can find all kinds of organic music. This is the one, the positive side of, of sort of uh, the, the, the owner-operated do-it-yourself world we live in, in, in terms of, you know, anyone can make music now. You don't need a record label, mm-hmm. really. Again, that's the mainstream, but there's so much music and there is a lot of good organic music that has, um, you know, uh, an abundance of beautiful playing on it. You can, it's, it's not that it's like, it's not, we're not saying that that's gone away as a thing, but what we're really, I just, to contextualize, we're, we're talking about mainly the, the mainstream that, 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 that sliver of of the industry that carries with it that that big the hitting the big time Mm -hmm. and it's it's a hard thing because that's the the big time isn't uh now what it was um when i was growing up right um that that's kind of going away there's there's less there's less longevity you know, a band could come out uh, in the seventies and have a 10, 20 year or more career, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and now you have very few artists. It, it, it hasn't gone away completely, but, but that, that phenomenon of, of this larger than life thing, which we all wanted to be a part of. No one, no one I knew as a kid was like, well, what I'd like to do is be in the, uh, in the peripheral of music, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Everyone wanted to be, and, and myself included, I wanted to make it big. Yeah. And you, cause you, that was something you could do. You could be discovered. Mm-hmm. You could be, your band could be at a bar and there could be an A&R agent, you know, from a label. Yeah, uh, I mean, that happened all the time. It happened all the time. And it was just like this real thing. And I, <clears throat> I think that, still lives in the minds of people but what hasn't caught up is that that kind of it doesn't exist in the same way that it did because uh it's not being well because the music the product the actual product which is music um an album a cd right the physical product has gone away so it's been devalued um so things, so there's less money, so things can't get as large, you know, as they did when like Van Halen came out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, or when Elton John came out or when all these things were happening, things got so huge. Like, I don't know if y- young people 
realize how big music could get I mean, and how sell many tens of millions of records, which yeah. will never happen again. And, and how many artists there were rotating that were having this kind of like it just things got huge. Yeah. You know, what the, the thing that always blew my mind was when when tapes turned to CDs. <laughs> So everyone who had this huge tape collection of all their favorite bands went out and rebought the same album on CD. You know, you know it. So you went from selling 15 million records to 30 million records pretty much yeah. overnight without putting out a new product. <laughs> and, and again, the fan experience was a big deal because um, music wasn't just um, consumed by children. Mm-hmm. Music was consumed by adults. I remember my parents and their friends and friends having, you know, listening parties because because that was what entertainment was. You didn't have cell phones and you didn't have the Internet. And so music listening was still a big part of entertainment. It's what you did to, you know, even before, you know, in the 40s, when 30s and 40s, when radio. Mm hmm came out it was a huge deal families got together to listen to the radio it brought it was brought a sense of community um and and to a degree music was still important to adults um and anyway so because things have in the mainstream have shrunk um and, and they're, they're they're sort of a they're, they're, it's been constantly adjusting um it it, it it makes the opportunities uh, for young players that, that 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 dream of the big time goes away. So they're like, well, what else can we do? So that's why you have the rise of all the the, uh, the Instagram stars and the YouTube stars because literally there's nothing else for some of these kids to do. They mm -hmm. they. It, on some level, they probably know that the big time isn't available to them, so they're doing what they have to do. Right. I mean, yeah, you don't see, you know, when you were in the clubs back in the day, everyone's walking around like, yeah, we're trying to get a record deal. You don't hear anyone say that now. Right. So, and I know, and I know you, you guys talked, you and Kevin talked a lot about, you guys broke that apart even more. Um, but for me, it, it's, I understand why. Um, you know, the, the social media is so saturated. Right. Well, it's an interesting point that you bring up because I've never heard anyone bring it up that way where it's like, look, these guys, a lot of these people aren't doing this stuff on Instagram because they think that's the right thing to do. They're doing it because they see that as a viable option to make money playing yep. the drums. Yeah. And it is. It, it It is. By all means, it is. It's a paradigm shift. So we have to... We have to accept that to a degree. We can't just uh, be old men, you know, waving our fists in the air and just like uh, I remember when I was a kid. Blah blah blah. It's like no, this is this is this is real, and 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 there's a reason why this is happening because uh, it's not just you have to look at it. It's a very complicated thing. There isn't one. You can't just go. Oh well, this is bad because. Um, you have all these wankers on there and it's like, okay, yes, that there, there is that, but why? Well, there isn't much left for these kids to believe in. Right. You know, as far as the mainstream, again, we're still just that, that, that idea of, of making it big 
in the big time, um, that dream is, has that there, there's been a paradigm shift, uh, and that's what's causing the explosion of, of, of that. And I, I understand it, you know, I, right. I get it, sympathize. Right. And I think that to yeah. think about it as a, I mean, the, the chances of that happening to you anyway are so slim, right? The chances of your band getting signed, you guys become mega stars and you're the next Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, I think those chances are slim to none. But the the in-between, I think there's so much magic there that Absolutely. that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like, there are plenty of bands who've been around for 15, 20, 25, 30 years who are That's touring, who make yep. their living playing music, who aren't on, you know, mainstream radio, who aren't on the television shows, who aren't playing at the Super Bowl, and but they're all doing really well. And, and I think that that is still a viable yep. route. To go. There is opportunity out there. That's not yeah. None of this to say is to say there isn't opportunity, and it may be safe to say that that there's more opportunity in this time. Mm-hmm. If just if you just tell yourself, okay, I don't need to fly around in a Learjet, right? <laughs> you know, right? If you're willing to accept a, a decent middle class uh, living, yeah, uh, doing something you love, then. With hard work and and some luck, you absolutely can carve out a living. I believe that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Because um, it's not like people aren't excited about music. They're just excited about it in a different way. Right. And live music is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But but the, the shift to downloads and basically free music has killed um, the mainstream, mm-hmm. I think, you know, has, has just has wreaked havoc on that whole, that paradigm. Mm -hmm. So we were, what we were originally talking about was, was can you get by with less playing? And it's like, it depends on, on, uh, you know, it, it, it just depends on the kind of music being played there. I just think that's just, you don't have to be as good or as precise because of technology, but we all know there's plenty of, uh, of of brilliant, inspiring playing out there. If, that, mm-hmm. if you hear that, you know there's yeah. there's no shortage of it. And my my thought would be if you if you really want to be involved in in pop and you really want to be involved in mainstream music, then not only should you learn how to play drums, but you should also learn how to program and learn how to make beats and and learn how to play keyboards and and all that. Like that's. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. you hear anything on the radio. Now there's, it's not live drums. It's, it's, yeah. it's all sequenced and, and drum programmed. Man. I'm, and I'm so thankful to be doing what I'm doing. Cause it doesn't require any of that. And, mm-hmm. and no shit. I really, yeah. If, if, you know, programming is, is just luckily. And I say this, I'm just, I'm lucky that I haven't been sort of, cause it doesn't really interest me. Again, back to that band thing. Right. It, it doesn't interest me to program beats. It interests me to play. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I haven't yet been uh, called upon to uh, to have to do any of that. You know, right. we still we're still very you know in the studio. We're playing. If anything, what Brad will do is if he wants a loop. And he, he's definitely wanted loops. What he'll do is he'll have me go play. Mm-hmm. 
He'd be like, Ben, give me your best four bars of, of this. And then he'll take it and lo-fi it through some plugins. And what do you know? You've got a pretty cool loop that was actually just played by me mm-hmm. that he turned into a loopy sounding thing. Or we'll mess with some different instruments and things like that. But, um, it, but any looping that I've done has actually just been my own drumming turned into a loop. Right. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, do yourself a favor and check out Promark's Select Balance Drumsticks. These sticks give players the ability to fine-tune their standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, check out the Forward Balance. These are front-weighted and give you enhanced power and speed. If you are playing jazz or funk or gospel, then check out the rebound balance. These are rear weighted and gives you more finesse and more agility. Plus, they're made by Promark, which you know you're going to get a quality product because they control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. Plus, they're paired by pitch and by weight, so there's zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your stick bag. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to Promark.com. You're pulling all these things out of my brain that that I've never really thought about before. When you're talking cool. about, where you're talking about the being a fan, you know, and and yeah. and going back to when you were a kid. And I grew up on on old school hip hop, and yeah. my brother listened to old school hip hop. That's what I grew up listening to. And now I hate ninety nine point nine percent of hip hop that's out there now. Right. Um, and hate's a strong word, but I I. Yeah, I, I dislike it very much. And I don't even consider it hip hop. I consider it rap. And I think that those are two different things. But old school hip hop, I loved. But if you think about all, all old school hip hop, most of it was made sampling old funk R&B tunes. That's right. Which I love, right? So I'm like, maybe that's the real reason why I loved all that old school hip hop because it was all like James Brown and Jimmy Smith and, and all this other stuff that they were just sampling and then putting putting their lyrics over top of it. Well, and, and it probably made you think, well, these guys are honoring their um, their heroes. You're giving me a little bit more credit than I deserve. <laughs> well, no, but what I'm saying is not, not but, but you may not know that consciously, but it may have seemed cool to you because these guys were bringing in cool elements. Yeah. I think it was, for me, it was the other way around. That's what right. made me like, that's what made Uh-oh. me like funk, and that's what made me like Steely Dan. And like, I would hear hear a Steely Dan song, and I'm like, "Oh, that's a Jay Z song." Right. I totally had you more altruistic uh, than you are. You did. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would, yeah, I would be like, "Oh, this, uh, you know, oh, funky drummer. That's an Eric B and Rakim song." Right. Right. So right. I was, and then that's what really got me into. But it starts. This is a long way of of me like supporting your your argument of yeah. like it just starts with you being a fan. 
Yeah. Right. And then, and everything comes from there. Dude, I wore out. If, if CDs, I know they have grooves, but if they could be wore out, I wore out in the jungle groove. Yeah. I mean, that album just, that was on my top rotation for, you know, two years. You, you know what I mean? It was right. just, I could not get enough of that no. album. It's amazing. Uh, you know, if we're going to talk about James Brown, I'm going to plug that. Yeah. You know, goodness. It's a great record. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, we've, uh, we've come first full circle on that stuff. We have, we have the one, this, this is an off sort of an off question that you had mentioned a a while back. Um, and you, you, we were talking about styles and growing up with it and going out and learning all these styles. Are you, are you an advocate for staying in your lane and, and sort of being really good at one or two things? It sounds like it to me versus you saying, oh, go out and learn every single style, try to play every single style authentically. No, all all I'm saying is um, pay attention to your natural process. I'm I'm not making a case for for don't learn styles. I'm I'm saying be curious, like be curious, put feelers out, be open-minded and notice what hits you. Mm Mm-hmm. And what doesn't and lean, lean into the things that hit you. And also just don't beat yourself up. If something doesn't hit you, don't feel like you're not going to work because Latin sambas just aren't your thing. You don't have to force yourself to, to, to find a home for something that doesn't inspire you. That that's really the message there. It's, it's just be open-minded, be curious um, and notice what you get into, you know what I mean? And notice why, mm-hmm. um, and try not to let, well, I need to be versatile, maybe be your guiding light. Got you. I think, that's, you know? so that's I think, some, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's, it's, it's a gentler thing. I'm not necessarily taking a stand like do this, don't do that. But right, right. more or less saying these, this is how it works. You're not going to be able to do something authentically that you don't truly love and understand. Right. I say that as an opinion. Mm-hmm. You, you know, that's just, that's, I'm not, you know, I'm sure that could be challenged or no, someone who hey. disproved. Well, it's only you and I on the microphones right. and we're both agreeing, so... Right. Well, I always, <laughs> I always hear the, uh, th- that someone, the, the well actually guy, you know, <laughs> yeah. right. As if we were like live streaming this and comments were coming in. I can't, right. my brain can't help, but not hear the well actually guy. Right. Right. I think, you know, with, for me, I would think that, and this, again, this is just my take on it that, yeah, yeah. go out, like, Dip your toe in the water, learn some different styles, see what you like, see what you gravitate towards, see what you don't like, see what feels good to you, whatever. And just, you know, and the ones that don't, that you don't dig or you don't enjoy, then, then don't spend your time doing yeah. that. Dig into the stuff that you really enjoy and get really good at it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's where, that's where you learn. It's just like if you listen to a lot of noty music, let's say you listen to a lot of uh, fusion, mm-hmm. you would pull, you would eventually pull 
patterns, right? If you listen to Billy Cobham enough, you're going to pull some of those licks. You're just, you know what I mean? You're going to yeah. pull vocabulary. Well, groove time, time has, is, has a vocabulary too. Mm-hmm. It, it's the vocabulary of space. And so if you are attuned to groove music and, and music that where the time is a supporting element and the time is played with uh, an artistic flair, you're going to pull that influence into your time as well, just like you would pull a lick out. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's, yep. It's, it's infused. Um, but it only gets to that level when you're really deep, I think. Mm-hmm. When it's in your bones. That's my experience. I would agree. Um, <clears throat> is, is, is the point there. Mm-hmm. I um, agree, man. And then – in addition to that, absolutely, you know, time, your sense of time is a muscle and uh, it's just a mental muscle. And the more resistance you put against it, the more uh, strong it will be. So there are, there are act, there are clinical exercises you can do, obviously to improve it even more, your awareness of the quarter note. But, you know, I don't want to get too uh, esoteric uh, on the other direction. You, you're, there's definitely a clinical scientific approach as well right right you know it's sometimes maybe your, your sense your, your time your, your heart and your brain are good but maybe your limbs are weak and that can cause a fluctuation i've i've experienced that mm-hmm. where i felt there have been times where i felt like my right hand was holding me back from expressing the time you know it's, it's like a you know as drummers we're kind of like martial artists there's movement is a is 50% of everything. Yeah. You know, there's what we're playing, what the, the, the styles of solos or paradiddles or whatever. And then there's how we do it. How do we physically achieve what we're playing? So we have to spend a lot of time on, uh, on movement. And, and, uh, I would, and I would guess if you're right-handed, you know, especially like your left foot, you know, or, or both of yeah. your feet. Like, how is your time? How's your time on your left foot compared to your right hand? I remember Michael Carvin I, saying, most people have educated hands and uneducated feet. <laughs> you know it. That's a great, yeah, that's a great little uh, way to put it. You, you know, in other words, so I've had students, what, what I try to do is you may be internally centered with time, but physically not. So one way to test that would be to sing the part. So there, now you have no limbs. Mm-hmm. You have nothing. Your right foot can't hold you back. There's not, you know, if, if, if you can sing it, then and you can sing it and it grooves, then most likely internally you're, you're, you're uh, calibrated. So the problem would be maybe more of a physical thing. But if you can't really sing it with a groove, you know, right? right. You can if you can sing it and it grooves, then then internally you're grooving. That's one way to suss out Hmm. uh, what's going on. Hmm. Right. And then and if you can and you can't play it behind the kit, then it's a physical yeah, a lot, of, 
and a lot of times it, it it's more of a physical thing. At I least, believe it, that for sure. That's definitely. I, mean, I know for me that is. For sure. Yeah. Um. So again, it's it's multifaceted. It, there's so much that goes into it. You can't just say, you know, the old advice was, oh, you want to get better time, uh, just play to a metronome. Well, that's right. not enough. Right. I, I, do you think that that's a good that's a good high level place to start though to sort of well, like corral yeah. yourself a little bit? Sure, to corral. Sure, no, no. It's 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 definitely part of the equation, but it's it's you can't just stop at that. Right. If you want to dig deep into it, mm-hmm. I you know, um, I and listen, what we're what we're doing here is essentially reverse engineering, um. At least in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of drummers who, who have inspired me, who are great timekeepers, and you know, just were kind of my heroes. But they came upon it just naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what we're essentially trying to do is extract what what these guys have done right and try to put it into a clinical context. Um, and what I'm saying here is, is it's both, uh, it's both a formula, but it's also, there's philosophy involved too. Yeah. You know, you have to live it and love it. And and anyone that's up on a pedestal probably did that at some point. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 I think we all, we want everything yesterday so it's, it's right it's hard for right. you know there's a, it seems like there's a lot less uh patience out there to get it um so you would mention that you do a lot of this stuff with your students do you you're take do you take on students like if someone if someone wants to study with you yes i've done a i've, I've done a little less of that now mm-hmm. um i'm definitely still open to it but i don't i don't advertise as much um once in a while now someone will come out of the woodwork. Hey man, are you teaching? I'm like, yes, absolutely. But I don't do the legwork anymore. Well, I don't say anymore. It's just a season. Um, what, what, what happened was we were, we're very busy during the year and I was in a phase where when we weren't busy, I was, I was very much yearning to, to try to be established in the community and I set out and to do that, and uh, and also I do I love to teach, man. That there is that I, I genuinely love. I feel like I learn when I teach. I don't know about you. I'm, everyone, a lot of people I know that teach say that like teaching helps them grow, and it, it's absolutely true. So, and I just I love um, helping people, and mm-hmm. it's great. But like what happened was my life was getting out of balance and we would come home off the road and and I would be teaching or trying to do a website and and that takes a lot of time and I, I felt like I was losing you know a little of my humanity. And, right. and this goes definitely into what you you and Kevin were talking about the other day. And I I mean, I was standing up on the top of the mountain just applauding um, when, when you guys were talking about, look, we're humans. We're not just – we're not identified by just what we do or what our passion is for our career. We're not, we're not really drummers, mm-hmm. 
right? That's a part. If your life is a pie, you look at it like pieces of a pie, that's one slice. You're a drummer. You're somebody's son or daughter, right? Mm-hmm. You're somebody's friend. You are an employee somewhere. You, you are. There are a lot of things that make us what we are. And the, the, the drumming wedge w- was overtaking uh, all these other aspects of, of life. Um, so I, I just think we're – we're better when those things are balanced. And so I just kind of, while I didn't close the door on teaching, I just closed the door on working to teach. Right. And uh, you would mention that conversation that Kevin and I had about, you know, being a drummer and having all these other things in our lives. Chris Layton was actually the first one that really drove that home. I love Uh, him. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a drummer, but that's not, that's just what I do. It's not who I am. Right. And oh. I have all these other things and it kind of, like, I think it takes someone like Chris Layton to say that to me before I can, before it can really sink in. Right. You know, well, and I'm thinking if you're not identifying as just being a drummer, then what the hell am I doing over here? Right. <laughs> you know, like but, you're Chris but, Layton. But if you think about it, all the, all the greats are, 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 are like that. Anytime I've listened to interviews and things of, of my heroes, they're, they're talking about, it's not always just so drum centric. And, and listen, I don't want to rehab. I mean, everything you guys said about that was literally articulated. If I could articulate that well, uh, perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, I would suggest, you know, if anyone wants to talk, you know, list, learn about, what that means uh, would would to go back and listen to that the first part of that podcast because it's it's brilliant. Um, it's absolutely true. I cook. I I I do. I'm, I paint. I'm into physical fitness. I'm I'm into nurturing my relationships. I'm into tending to my house. Um, you know. So and and those things are are my obsessions now. And. Mm-hmm. It's cool. I'm very fortunate that I don't. I don't have to obsess over drumming. Uh, it, it it actually makes my practice better because there there isn't. It used to be when I would practice, there was an intensity behind it. Like I gotta get good, right? I gotta get. I gotta compete. I gotta. Get, you know. I gotta show the world that I'm right. There was there was this element of. Um, and now when I practice, there, it, there's a peaceful flow to it. Mm-hmm. And there's no urgency. And so I actually get more done. <laughs> nice. You know, and, and, and for as much as I can do, I'm one of these people, I'm kind of a, I have been diagnosed with like ADD. I know mm-hmm. that's a common thing, but I believe I have it pretty good. And the reason I mention that is I've never been a great practicer because I can't I have a hard time sitting and doing and concentrating on the same thing over and over for an hour. Huh. I would have actually uh, thought that you were you were a really good practicer. I I would matter of fact, I would love to get what's if somebody's out there claims to be the guru of practicing, I would love to be your student. Um because <clears throat> I I don't I've never really figured out how to get it to where what I'm practicing 
comes with me to performing. So yes, I'm in there. I can practice things and learn things and be and and come up with some stuff, but um, it's not really things that um, that I necessarily can use to make my you know I get better at playing mainly by playing. Um, honestly, my shows are my practicing the recordings. Right. Um, that stuff that that has you know just being able to play as much as I do has taken me so much further than actual practicing anymore. The reason I practice is because I just miss the drums. Like I just I still love them and I want to go down and I want to touch the sticks and, and hit the drums and play and just I just love drums. So you know uh, that's what draws that's my motivation now is to just be one with the drum set. And so I'll go down and then I'll start working on things. But sometimes I'll be like a minute into something and I'll be like, yeah, but what about this thing? All right. And then, yeah, what about, you know, um, and, and, and then after about an hour, I'm like tired, like right. literally yawning, like, Oh my God. And so there's something in my brain that just, you know, now I can be disciplined and I have been, I can definitely sit there and do something over and over. And I've done a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's exhausting. Um, I, I am the same way where yeah. one, I, I've never been a great practicer Two, most of my practicing has been just tunes and things that I needed to learn. Um, right. and even, even when I was in college and I would do like, I was doing like six hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was still like, it's not, it's not translating into my playing, right? So when it's, you find the guru, let me know. Yeah, and and it, it's funny because some guys can do that, right? Mm -hmm. They can practice in a way where they take it right into the next show they're doing. Yeah, and and I don't believe it's about memorizing because you know I I, I I don't believe that any of the great like improvisers of our time are stringing together memorized licks or things. I go about it like vocabulary and that, that, yeah. that was made the like when Benny Greb came out with, with his first uh, DVD, I was like, okay, that's, he nailed it. Yeah. That, the second one's good too. The art and science of groove. Oh, oh art and science of groove is brilliant. Yeah. Um, he's brilliant, everything, his whole thing. But even then I still had, there was a disconnect. I was like, okay, this system is where it's at. It's, you learn it like a language and it's just how articulate do you want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but even then I, I was like, I get it. I get, you know, you got, to, you know, and I, the one thing I definitely still do is is playing rhythms against the spoken um, pulse, mm -hmm. and learning how to displace. And you know, the thing the thing about him is is the the way he a lot of his brilliance is how he plays with time. If you listen to his playing, it's not very lick centric. Right. It's it's imaginative manipulations of of time and displacement and. And that an orchestration mm, kind of reminds me of Yost Nickel, right? Absolutely. Um, 
and, and to me, that's the more interesting stuff. That's that's just the to me that makes the music that my inner child wants to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's taking, you know, I know you and Kevin were talking about soloing. I tend to agree. Like I generally don't look for solos, but when they're musical, when they're, when there's a statement, when like, someone that can take a phrase and and uh, and expound on that and turn it into other phrase and just that freedom of being able to take a drum set for a drive, mm-hmm. you know, yep. by yourself it, it is a pretty wonderful thing. Um, but it's got to tell a story. Yeah. Y- you know, can't just um, be regurgitating right. licks that you've been memorizing yeah. and copying and pasting. I agree. Yeah. It's got to tell a story. And so that mindset learning that has helped me in, in that, um, endeavor very much, you know, so, mm-hmm. One of one of the brilliant things in, in the first DVD was uh, was repeating a phrase like it's just simple it's simple as that play something and then play it again harder way harder than it sounds way harder yeah. try doing that for forty five minutes without stopping yeah was, you know um, but that it teaches you to know what the hell you're saying mm-hmm. what brilliant exercise so you know for those of you wanting to develop that I mean. In a as a standalone, like that exercise would take you so far, right? Yeah, um, I mean, it's like a lot of that vocabulary that you spoke of uh, reminds me of of learning. You know, like I speak in, I speak Italian, and so when, when I was first learning, uh, yeah. like I would learn a sentence or a word or something like that. And it's like great, you have all these words and sentences, but if you can't put them together to tell a story, then no. you're just yelling. You're just you know, you're just saying, I like chicken wings. I like chicken wings. I like chicken wings yes. over and over again when people are talking about televisions. Yeah. Right. Or you're just saying random words and people are like, what are you? I don't even know what you're talking about. And I think that I I think that the the repeating thing that Benny talks about is, is like you said, a way of under what are you saying, understanding what you're saying and being able to say it again or being able to say it in a different way with a different inflection or a different delivery. Um that's man. That's where the magic is, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, you got it. Yeah, we're 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 uh, we're on the same page there. I like that. <clears throat> and I think to me, if you're going to do a solo, it should be able to move people that aren't drummers. Mm-hmm. Like it should be entertaining for the non musicians. Yeah, to be it's be exciting enough for the average person to follow. That's why Buddy Rich was brilliant. Yeah, you yeah. know, I remember being five years old. Uh, watching him on Carson, this was way before I was interested in drumming, seeing that guy <clears throat> on there and, and being able to literally like dance to it, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just, I didn't, I was five. What did I know about it? But I, I remember I was, I could follow it. You know what I mean? It was, it was, there was, even though it was technically light years beyond anything I could maybe do now, it, it was, simple enough in its structure in its phrasing and the development um to be exciting for my five-year-old brain right yeah you know yeah all the other all that other stuff is just for the drummers in the audience right yeah <laughs> right and i don't you know i've never really other than like if i'm playing a show and there's drummers standing on the sidelines watching me 
like just watching, then I might be feel a little uncomfortable. But other than that, I don't. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. What any drummer thinks, I don't. I try not to get too concerned uh, with that, unless they're literally just sitting right there. Then it's like, oh boy, right. Okay. Uh, I gotta pull out this. Uh, yeah. Where's that lick I brought with me? <laughs> you know, and, and even then I can. Doesn't just, land it. Yeah, right. Or play through it and hope for the best. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So where, uh, if people want to follow along with with what you're going on, I, I know you're always out on the road with Brad and and yeah. posting some stuff on social media. Where's the best place to kind of follow along with what you got going on? Mainly Instagram. I've kind of. I know a lot of people have all these different platforms to do it, YouTube and TikTok and all the I, I try to keep it all mainly what I do in one place, which is at the gram on the gram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even with that, I don't I, I go through phases where I'll I'll post a lot of stuff and then I'll take a break. And that's sort of like this this uh you know, I have this sort of existential uh, quandary with all that where it's I, I don't want to work so hard in, in, in trying to capture all the minutia of my life I want right. to just sort of enjoy it as it's happening um, so I don't always have my phone out you know um, but I do like to share as well um, I po- tend to post more when we're touring mm-hmm um, and when we're home, I'm mostly it's about either painting or cooking, right, or some personal life, you know, a little bit. But um, but yeah, definitely, uh, I try to keep it. In, I think there's a beauty to not overposting. I would agree. Um, <clears throat> and there's and it, I've I've felt that it, it's worked for me because even when I started with social media, some something in my instincts told me to be restrained. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause I'm not selling anything per se. I'm not trying to sell books or products or, you know, when I was doing a lesson plan, maybe I was doing more of that, but I'm not really selling anything. Yeah. But it keeps people, I think you, you come off a little more like a mystery if you hold some cards back. Mm-hmm. And I've always been attracted to the mystery in the, in the the heroes that I follow, I kind of like that they weren't uh, just that, that everything about them wasn't plastered everywhere. Yeah, you know I think I, the age of like the icon is gone. Right. Everyone has accessibility to everyone now. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is, so if I take some time off, I don't do much on there. And then when I pick my moment and I do something impactful, boy, mm-hmm. does that get a response. Yeah. Like I know that immediately it's like, okay, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's almost, for me, it's, it's always worked that way. If I, if I pick my moments, um, you know, and, and, and just really make them count, it has a greater impact. I get more, um, engagement. Mm-hmm. But then I've gone through times where like my heart was broken and, uh, and I just, you know, I, I was just maybe wallowing in sadness. So to, so to defer those feelings, I would post more, Oh, <laughs> here's some deer in my yard. Look at the deer, you know, uh, you know, 
right? <laughs> uh, come on, notice me. Uh, I'm sad. You know. And I know I'm doing it as it's like I know that I'm in that phase, and at least there's that. I know why I'm overposting. Right. I'm just doing it anyway. Right. It's like when people. <laughs> I'm probably gonna offend someone when I say this, but when people post pictures of their sick kids on right. Instagram or Facebook, I'm like. This post is not about your kids. This is about right. you and your need for attention. Absolutely, and and, and I'll really, I'll go to the grave saying that. Like that is right. that's the I don't I don't care who you are. You're doing that because you want attention. And I'm willing to you. You can call me out on that when in those phases when that's happened. I will be like, absolutely, you nailed it. Right. I'm suffering right now, and. uh I just, I, I just, I have too much time on my hands, and I don't feel like painting, or where, or anything else, and so, absolutely. Well, I would be lying if I sat here and said that I didn't have, you know, sure. any narcissism inside of me because there's definitely, you know, you don't start a podcast and have all these social things and post all this stuff if there's not some sort of narcissism there. I don't care who you are, right? You know, it feel attention feels good, so yeah. Um, well, but I would love to, I would love to see you post more because I like there's not enough there's not enough cats going on the gram and just just playing grooves and playing real shit. It's all just like all yeah. it all to me it sounds a lot like if you took if you took drumsticks and like played played on the wall. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> like that's that's, that's like all a, I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm that's, like that doesn't do anything for me. No, no, same, same, same. I can't. It's just white noise. Yeah, it's white. And listen, it's not that some of that stuff isn't like. Some is like mind bending, right? It's like wow, I can't believe what what can be done and how you're just you're twelve, you know, <laughs> it, just right. I, it's 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 impressive, but it's still. And again, I'm going to defer to your podcast with Kevin for the the, the real breakdown of all that because I agree. But it's just it doesn't uh, it doesn't get me going, man. It's just I, it's just white noise, it's one after the other, just um, razzle dazzle, you know. And yeah. just, uh, and and I do try to counteract when I do post musical things. I try to do try to play, keep it song based, and then once in a while I'll throw in something that has, that's more drumistic. Mm-hmm. I try to when I was posting more of that stuff. I try to balance that. Yeah. Um, and as we start getting into the touring season, which starts tomorrow for me, um, I'll probably be more active and, and maybe film some of the shows and do you know get get the um, some clips from from on the stage because people love behind the scenes. Yeah, they do. If you're, if you're working and you're, you're doing some stuff and you, you're not sure what to post that'll get people uh, excited, give them a glimpse behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Give, show them catering. Show yep. them what it's like <laughs> on a bus. People, they will eat that up. Yep, yep. And it's, the pro- it's like the, the process, understanding that process, understanding yeah. like – what goes into that that career? What goes into you know? It's not being. Let me tell you, people and Ben, you can you can attest to this even more than I can. That like being on a bus all the time isn't as glamorous as it sounds. You know, it's a it's a grind. It's a utility, right? Um, yeah, it's not. It, it's weird. It's yeah. It's it's 
it's it's glamorous, but that's not what that the glamorousness of it fades into the background after a few years, and it just becomes kind of uh, mixed into the overall. Well, I'm appreciate this is cool. I'm appreciative to be in this grind because it's the grind I love to do. And there, there's plenty of grinds out there that I would not like to do, like mm-hmm. dig ditches or things. So if I'm going to do a grind, I'm going to do the one that uh, that I love. Right. And so all of those other things are part of that. So when I'm thinking, when I've been 18 hours on a bus or something like that, and I'm, I'm climbing at the walls, I'm still thankful. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, Even yeah, 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 of course. I'm complaining because I want to be home or off the bus. That that doesn't mean like there isn't gratitude. I'm always grateful, uh, but yeah, it's it's not it. It's just a, it's a utility, and it of course it seems it seems glamorous to anyone that hasn't done it. That makes sense, and it is. You know, the first time you you start touring in that capacity, it's amazing. Like you feel it gives you a feeling of accomplishment. Like wow, I'm moving up in life. Like that's real. That that's you know, right for sure. And, 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 and as long as you can keep that going, you are moving up in life or if, 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 you know, you've got a leg up on 99.999% of the people that try to do music. Mm-hmm. If you're in, if you're on a bus doing it, yeah, even at a low level, that's like a huge, huge accomplishment, you know, you know, so uh, but people like to have a glimpse mm-hmm. uh, and want to know. They're curious about what goes on behind the scenes. and um, So it doesn't always have to be uh, a flashy picture of you with perfect lighting. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, things like that. So, right. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do not yeah. – if you don't post uh, flashy stuff with good lighting, I'm going to unfollow you. But uh, – uh- <laughs> there's plenty of flashy stuff with good lighting no, I know. <laughs> like it's all accidental right. my tech rob i'll be like hey man tonight will you take some photos and because uh, no one else takes pictures of me for some reason right. so he he'll be like all right between you know tuning up the side snare or whatever he'll uh <clears throat> he'll get his camera out and our light shows all over the place and a lot of times it's dark and it's light and he's literally trying to take photos waiting for the lights to come on. So when he sends me the pictures he took at the end of the night, maybe out of 50 shots, I've got one that I can use. Right. You right. Know, it's, 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 but the one, but I will say when they, the one. the one that comes out is probably a good one because of right. you know, the setting. So, right. Um, you know, but I so I want to uh, I want to encourage everyone to to follow you. Obviously, go see you guys play live for sure. Um, and also, one I appreciate your willingness to do this, and, and we did it so quickly. And thank you to Kevin Murphy for connecting us. I really do. I really appreciate that. And your I, I love your your openness and and your candor and your willingness to to talk about like there's there's a lot of people who don't like to talk about things that, that maybe they're not good at or thoughts they've had or, or sure. you know, 
insecurities about things and the fact that that you're willing to openly discuss those one up to me is the is the ultimate sign of uh of of strength and rather than weakness but i also think that it helps the listeners as well to realize like hey you know no one's got it all figured out we can all learn from each other we're all in this together so i i applaud you and i appreciate your 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 candor uh and ben thanks just thanks for being here man i appreciate you absolutely thank you i'm honored to be part of it you're a great you're a great interviewer jesus thank you i appreciate that and uh i will send you the check for for that those kind words and uh but ben until the next time man again thank you so much safe travels on the road and hopefully we can connect in person soon you got it man thank you so much you're welcome all right There you have it, the one and only Ben Caesar. You can check out the show notes for this episode by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 552, the numbers. And uh, if you can do me a favor, if you like this podcast and you want to let other people know that they should be listening to this podcast, two things. One, share it with your friends. And two, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. That helps it show up higher in search results. You know all of this, but if you haven't left a review already my only question is why if you dig the podcast so do that favor for me i would appreciate it i'll keep the good episodes coming if you keep the comments and you keep the ratings and reviews coming as well it's a fair deal right free podcast i get ratings and reviews everyone wins uh other than that that's all i got so until the next podcast keep jumping thank you so much for listening and i will be talking to you soon peace Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Peace.